0: John for years, and you all know how it works when your wife continually gets at you, right? So she won, uh, but really am excited about it, and also excited about it just for the season of life that we're in as a church. God seems to have providentially set the deck, as it like Josh mentioned, and like we've been telling you guys, um, we're looking at the third third Sunday in um, September, the 19th. Am I right on that? 19th? Is that right? Third Sunday in September? Somebody correct me if I'm wrong. Anyway, we're looking at having what we're calling a grand opening. Now, if you've been around King's Church a long time, you know it's not a grand opening. We've been around for several years, right? But for the people that we want to reach with the gospel of Jesus Christ, uh, it will be, and it certainly is for this location. So we want to gather on the momentum that we trust God's been giving us so far whenever we change locations, so that is uh, what's going on there. And we're excited about that. We're going to see what the Lord is going to do, right? Amen. All right, Gospel of John this morning. So here's... um, Here's a little bit of a, of a summary of, of the passage and, um, and what's going on. The book of John is written to convince people, Okay, so John's original listeners, convince them of two things, that Jesus is the Messiah and that as the Messiah, he's also the Son of God. Okay, So in John chapter 20 and verse 30, John the writer, one of the disciples, became one of the apostles. Uh, wrote a decent chunk of the New Testament. He says this, and I remind you every week in verse 30 and 31, Now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples which are not written in this book, but these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing you may have life in His name. So John the writer, I believe, it gives us the clearest picture of the divinity of Jesus Christ the eternality of Jesus Christ, and by that Son of God and the one Messiah who's coming to fix the big problem that we have. Okay? The whole book is organized. So think about it as a, a writer. His whole book is, is organized. And I want to encourage you guys. Uh, thousands and thousands, if not hundreds of thousands and millions of people have come to faith in Christ. They have been freed from their sin and the judgment of God to come through reading this letter these chapters of the Gospel of John. So uh, that is an exciting thing to think about. And we we spent a lot of time in the first chapter because there's so much. Uh, The prologue of John's Gospel is just like any prologue. It spells out what he wants to say, that Jesus is the Son of God, that he's the Messiah, Um, and that John the Baptist is a witness to that reality and that the world did not receive Jesus. And then right after that, it goes into John the Baptist's ministry. Okay, This is important for where we're going to be today. Now, John the Baptist was a prolific figure and a strange figure at the same time. He has a ministry throughout all of Israel, okay? He camps out in the wilderness, and if you're familiar with the Bible at all, you know that. But before he did that, he went throughout the entire state proclaiming a very difficult message. This was not a feel-good preacher, okay? His message was, you need to come and repent of your sin. You need to turn away from it. And he, he, that was his traveling sermon. He had one sermon. Right, that was his traveling sermon, and the back half of that sermon was, "But there's someone coming who's gonna fix it, and you need to get ready." Okay, and so in this passage, um, one of John's disciples, back in these days, if you wanted to learn from someone, you didn't necessarily enroll in a school. You would follow a great teacher. You would devote a good portion of your life to following him around. And so John had disciples two of his disciples, Andrew and the the one who writes this book, John, John the writer, not John the Baptist, but John the writer, see John calling Jesus the Lamb of God and the Son of God twice. John does it twice, the second time in this passage that we're about to read. And they have heard over and over and over again, there's someone coming, there's someone coming, there's someone coming, I'm making his way ready, there's someone coming. And they are good disciples He says, there he is. And they go, well, I guess we need to follow him. Okay, and so that's kind of what happens. But the interesting thing that happens in this passage is how Andrew specifically is the one who invites his friends and families and business associates to come and follow Jesus. And they do. Jesus hadn't even gotten started with his ministry yet, but these simple Witnesses leading others to Christ changed history. So Jesus arrives on the scene and do that, and it's a fantastic. And here's one thing I want you to focus on as we're about to read it in just a minute. Philip, Nathaniel, Andrew, okay, became part of the twelve disciples, and then part of the twelve apostles. Their lives were transformed. They are sitting. On thrones in glory right now. They followed the Lord Jesus Christ around and it had a profound impact in getting the gospel out to the world. And it all started because their friend said, Hey, why don't you come with me and check this Jesus guy out? Today we're going to talk about the simplicity and the power of an invitation to meet Jesus. You know, I've been having this conversation with pastors for some years now, and they're asking this question, why, why aren't people coming to church anymore in some areas of the world and in our area of the world? And why don't we specifically seek as many converts as we feel like we used to, people who were saying, I want to follow Jesus Christ in my life and repenting of sins. And as I've been having these, these conversations over the years, and I've been thinking about my own life, and, and, and am I leading enough people uh, to Christ? Am I being faithful in that uh, realm of my life? I, I've been wondering the same thing. And I've gotten a ton of answers to this question, right? Reading and talking to people, the, there's all kind of isms that are to blame, so, supposedly. Secularism and postmodernism and the Enlightenment and technology and the fact that the times are changed or preachers just can't preach anymore or that God simply doesn't work the way that He used to work. But based on my experience and what I'm seeing in the world, I think it's that God hasn't changed or that the world hasn't necessarily got any worse. It's that 75% of Christians don't share their faith. This is what the Bible says. For I am not ashamed of the gospel, this is Romans chapter 1 verse 16, for it, the message, is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. The gospel isn't broken. God hasn't changed. And here's the other thing. People are still hurting. They're still in desperate need of good news. So what the problem must be is that we aren't introducing enough people to Jesus Christ. I know what you're thinking. At King's Church, we talk about this a lot. It's something we're going to continue to talk about. Because what else is better to do with our lives than introduce people to Jesus Christ? And we think about it. And when we think about it, we think about it as a daunting thing. Sharing the gospel with somebody, right? And I I agree with you. I I, I used to feel the same way. Here's what I want to do. I want us to take the daunting idea of sharing our faith with someone and let's look at what simply Andrew and Philip do in this passage and the profound impact it has. You with me? All right. John chapter 1, beginning at verse 35. The next day John was there again with two of his disciples, and when he saw Jesus passing by, he said, Look, the Lamb of God. And when the two disciples heard him say this, they followed Jesus. Turning around, Jesus saw them following and asked, What do you want? They said, Rabbi, which means teacher, where are you staying? Come, he replied, and you will see. And so they went and saw where he was staying, and they and spent that day with him. It was about the tenth hour. Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, was one of the two that who heard John, what John had said, and, and who had followed Jesus. And the first thing Andrew did was find his brother Simon and tell him we have found the Messiah that is the Christ and and we brought him to and he brought him to Jesus and Jesus looked at him and said you are Simon son of John you will be called Cephas which when translated is Peter the next day Jesus decided to leave for Galilee finding Philip and he said to him follow me and Philip like Andrew and Peter was from the town of Bethsaida And Philip found Nathanael and told him, We have found the one Moses wrote about in the law, and about whom the prophets also wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. Nazareth? Can anything good come from there? Nathanael asked. Come and see, said Philip. When Jesus saw Nathanael approaching, he said of him, Here is a true Israelite in whom there is nothing false. How do you know me? Nathanael asked, Jesus answered, I saw you while you were still under the fig tree before Philip called you. And then Nathanael declared, Rabbi, you are the son of God, you are the king of Israel. And Jesus said, you believe because I told you that I saw you under the fig tree? You shall see greater things than that. Then he added, I tell you the truth, you shall see the heaven open and the angels of God ascending and descending on the son of man. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our Lord will stand forever. Pray with me. Father in heaven, as we consider your passage, we have a simple prayer, I have a simple prayer, that you would help us see you in it, and that you would show us what our response needs to be. Lord, help us to worship you over the word, and help me aid in that. We ask in Jesus' name, amen. Here's a big idea, it's pretty simple. The first disciples were led to Jesus by their friends and family, and it still works that way. The first disciples were led to Jesus by their friends and family, and it still works that way. Like Josh mentioned, 86, 86% of people who come to faith in Christ were led there to Christ by their friends and their family. People that were close to them. You know, One of the things we say all the time, because it's easy to stick in your mind, is that we want to get to people that are far from God but close to us. Right? That's what happened in this passage. Um, evangelism, that's the word that we use that means sharing Christ with other people and, and the process of going and doing that, can be a confusing topic. When many of you hear that word, there's all kind of images that come into your mind. Maybe it's a guy like me standing up here doing something like this. Maybe it's the guy on the street corner awkwardly handing out pieces of paper to people. There's a lot of different things that may come to your mind. But can I simplify it for you a little bit this morning? As we look at this passage, it's simply getting people around Jesus Christ. Where is Jesus Christ found? I can promise you this. He'll be talked about every Sunday right here. Invite him to church. Where else is Jesus Christ found? Well, he's found in this word, all over it. Actually, the word says that the whole thing's about him in one way or another. And what we have, and as an example here, is a, some simple people just getting people around Jesus. All right, so here are the three points this morning. Y'all know I like three points. Um, so here are the three points this morning. They're kind of long, all right? I try to make them short, but I failed, All right, So bear with me. They're kind of long, all right. Point number one: You can't lead others to Jesus unless you know Him, and you can't know Him unless you believe He is who the Bible says He is. One point, two sides to it. Ready? You can't lead others to Jesus unless you know Him, and you can't know Him unless you believe. He is who the Bible says he is. That's number one. Number two, leading people to Jesus is pretty simple, but it requires some intentionality. Leading people to Jesus is pretty simple, but it requires some intentionality. And then the final point: leading people to Jesus is like plugging it in, is like plugging in a lamp. Leave it to Jesus to turn on the light. Leading people to Jesus is like plugging in a lamp. Leave it to Jesus to turn on the light. All right, number one. Again. Apologize for the length. It's the best I could do. You can't lead others to Jesus unless you know him. And you can't know him unless you believe he is who the Bible says he is. So John the Baptist on the previous day, that in this passage, makes this, makes this proclamation that Jesus is the Son of God and the Lamb of God. Right, and Josh mentioned to the children just a minute ago all that was wrapped up in that that here is the sacrificial lamb here is the final sacrifice the one that we've been waiting for the substitute that we need no longer looking to lamb of, to the blood of lambs and goats and bulls here is one that we need and there's this announcement People didn't think about the the Messiah in these terms. If you want to know more about the the whole Lamb of God, I preached a sermon on it several weeks back. And I'm not going to deal with that subject necessarily here. But the next day, John sees Jesus again and makes the same proclamation. Look, there's the Lamb of God. And it gets Andrew and John's attention. Okay, John, the writer of this gospel. And they say, listen, we want to find out more about what John means by this. So they go up to Jesus and they say, where are you staying? You know, they kind of awkwardly follow him around for a while until Jesus turns around and says, hey, what do you want, right? And Jesus, they say, where are you staying? And by that, I'm sure they mean this. We'd like to have a prolonged conversation with you, not in public. Make sense, right? So where are you staying? Let's sit down and let's talk about this. And Jesus says, well, come on. Let's let's have a chat. Let's have a chat about it. And it's interesting. Here's a just a a, a cool little fun fact about the passage. It says... Uh, in what verse is it It says it was about the 10th hour that yeah verse 39 the end of verse 39 it says it was about the 10th hour and it's interesting to me that this moment obviously left such an impact on John that he remembered what time of day it was It's about 4 p.m. you know and that's significant for, for a couple reasons number one this was a pivotal moment in John's life and then secondly one of the things that you can trust is the validity of what you're reading in the Bible. There's a lot of people that say that these guys just made it up, but there's an extraordinary amount of detail in in the Bible. For example, John says, this is the tenth hour. Okay, So in this passage, the whole book of John was written to prove that Jesus was the Son of God and was the, the Messiah, the one that we're waiting on. But the hero of this passage is Andrew. He's a devout disciple of John. And when John says, listen, this is the guy that I've been talking about, they go over, they go over um, and, and tell him about it. Okay? Here's the point. All right, I'm gonna read this to you. Listen to me. Andrew's witness was powerful because he had a personal knowledge of Jesus Christ. Andrew's witness was powerful because he had a personal knowledge of Jesus Christ. He himself was convinced that he was who he says he was, that he was the Son of God, that he was the Messiah. And the reason that he was so juiced up to go tell his brother and the rest of his business associates okay, that Jesus was, in fact, the Son of God was because he was enthralled with him because he knew him. The reason that Jesus came to earth was, yes, to free you from the agony of sin. And if you're still under the judgment of God and have not yielded your life to Christ, today would be a great day for that not to be the case. But more than that, God has brought, Jesus has come to bring us into relationship, fellowship, and intimate relationship with God the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And if you're a believer in Christ, you have an opportunity for that every single day. Opportunity. The question that you need to ask yourself is are you availing yourself to that opportunity? Where is Jesus found? He's found in worship. Are you here regularly? Where is Jesus found? He's found in His Word. Are you in His Word daily? Taking up that time, the twenty-four hours in the day, use twenty of those, twenty minutes of those of those twenty-four hours, and spend some time with God. You can't lead. You can't have a powerful witness and lead someone to someone you don't know. For example. Let's say that there's a new restaurant in town, and in Columbia, we always need new restaurants, amen? We need some new restaurants, right? But imagine that you spend some time, there's like four New Mexican restaurants coming into this side of town, I don't know why, right? But let's say you go to one of them, or let's say you haven't been to one of them yet, but you start telling all your friends about it, and you just go on and on and on, five or six minutes, ten minutes, explaining how awesome this restaurant is, and then your friend asks you, well, what'd you get there? And you go, well, I haven't been there yet. Two things. Number one, your witness wouldn't be very powerful. Number two, you're probably not going to spend that much time talking about a place you've never been. The same reason why you probably aren't spending a lot of time talking about Christ that you really don't know that well, because if you did, you'd be floored with who He is and what He is. This is the first step. This is the first. This is the first step uh, in. You can't lead others to Jesus unless you know him, and you can't know him unless you believe he is who the Bible says he is. And that's the second aspect of it. In this passage, there are several titles um, about Jesus Christ that are given there's a Lamb of God, Jesus is the sacrifice needed. You can't come to God on your own, You, you need a sacrifice, and Jesus is it. Simple question that we need to ask ourselves is are you convinced? Or is there something else that you're looking to to make yourself okay? We all are, right? Trying to be okay. Is there something else you're looking to to, to make you okay? If you're convinced it's Jesus Christ, we're much more likely to lead others to him. Secondly, He says the a rabbi, master teacher, someone that you're willing to put yourself under to learn. And if we're trying to know him and be convinced, the question that we're asking us is, who has your attention? Who has your Somebody does. Somebody's got your attention. Maybe it's someone in entertainment. Maybe it's a business person that's killing it and you want to be like that person. Maybe it's someone who has someone or does someone, something that you don't have. Who has your attention? Jesus is called rabbi in this passage several times. Who are you going to put yourself under to learn? You're going to be blown away with Jesus Christ. Give him a chance. All right. He also says he's the Messiah or the Christ. He's the he's the anointed. He's the anointed one. The one who's supposed to. He's the one we're waiting on to fix everything and make everything better. Then in, he also says in verse forty-five that he's the one the whole Bible is written about. Verse forty-five. Philip found Nathaniel and said to him, "We have found him of whom Moses in the law and also the prophets wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph." that all of, of the Bible is leading us to this culminating figure named this Jesus Christ, who's the eternal Son of God, the Lamb of God. Just let that sink in for a minute. That all of human history, because it, it took thousands of years for God to reveal this slow and small bites and get to this point. That all of human history hinges on one man named Jesus Christ. Is there anyone else who should get more of your attention than that guy? He's the one from whom the whole Bible has been written. Always going to be the number one bestseller on the New York Times. Always has been, always will be. Right. He's the son of God. There's no problem he can't solve. He's the king of Israel. He's the anticipated son of David. He has all authority over your life, whether or not you recognize it. A lack of personal, intimate knowledge of Jesus is the biggest barrier to you leading people to Jesus. Now, let me clarify again what I mean by leading people to Jesus. Simply getting them around Jesus. Now maybe it's that you invite them over to your house or you invite invite take them out to lunch and you simply just ask them their spiritual story. Or maybe it's in that same conversation you invite them uh, to worship with you. Hey, just come and see. That was was it. That's all that Andrew said. That's all that Philip said. You know what? I, I can't answer your questions. Just come and see. Takes the burden off, doesn't it? Just come and see. You know? Or, hey, why don't, why don't we read the Gospel of John together? My preacher's preaching through it, you know? Or, hey, I, I listened to a really good sermon on the Lamb of God. I, I'd be interested in your thoughts. Maybe I'll, I listen, I'll buy you dinner. Let's talk about it, right? Just, it's, it's a simple going to take the time and the effort. But what it is going to do for you is it's gonna, you're going to risk having an awkward conversation. That's the truth. There's no way around that. And you're not going to risk that unless it's for someone you know really well. You're not going to risk that unless it's for someone that's transformed your life. If you were to meet a figure in, in our day that's polarizing, that a lot of people hate, a lot of people love, and you met them and they were famous, you'd probably still tell other people about him or her, right? Even though you're risking an awkward conversation about what you believe about this person on the back end of that. But it's so cool that you actually met this person that you talk about it. The same is true with Jesus Christ. The first disciples were led to Jesus by their friends and family. And it still works that way. Alright, point number two. Leading cheap people to Jesus is pretty simple, but it requires intentionality. Again, Andrew's the model that we're looking at in this passage. He simply goes and talks to people that he cares about and invites them to meet Jesus. Notice in verse 41, it says that the first thing Andrew did was find his brother and tell him we have found Messiah, that is the Christ, and he brought him to Jesus. This is the first thing. He just found the person he was closest to. We know from other books of the Bible that they work together every day. So this wasn't a hard thing to do. He just goes and says, hey, come come with me. You know? And what's interesting here, if you look at the Greek in, in verse forty three, I'm gonna read what it says in my translation. The next day Jesus decided to go to Galilee and he found Philip and he said to him, Follow me. But if you look at the Greek in this passage, the Jesus is the word in Greek for Jesus is not until the end of the passage. It could read that he took that that he took them. Uh, he decided to go to Galilee and found Philip and Jesus said to him, follow me. In other words, it could mean that Andrew was leading the way. And judging by where the Greek is positioned, that's where I lean. Okay. In other words, that Andrew went and found Peter and said, Peter, come meet Jesus. And then Andrew woke up the next day and said, hey, I got somebody else for us to go to. Come on. And they go there and then Jesus says to Philip, hey, follow me. And then what's Philip's first response? He just goes to his sphere of influence. If you're not familiar with that term, it just means the people that are close to you. right? The people that are close to you that you know well enough to have a relationship with. And all he does is go to Nathaniel and, and say, hey, come to see Jesus. Notice he knows something about Christ. He says to Nathaniel, he says, listen, come meet Jesus. He's the one the whole Bible is written about. He, he's, he doesn't have zero knowledge but he also, at the same time, doesn't have exhaustive knowledge. Nathanael asks a really good question. He says, Nazareth? Jesus of Nazareth? Nothing good comes out of Nazareth. And what he means by that is, there's no Bible prophecy about the Messiah coming out of Nazareth. Philip, what are you talking about? And what is Philip's response? Does he get out his, uh, his, his scroll does he get out his Old Testament scroll and start winding that bad boy out and say, actually, in, in, uh, in, in Deuteronomy, you see here, and he works his scroll a little bit, because this is how you work a scroll. He works his scroll a little bit and goes to the book of Isaiah and says, actually, here, 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 this is what it says. And then actually, does he say that? No, what does he say? I don't know. Just come meet him. He didn't have all the answers. He just said, I don't know. Just come on. Just come meet him. Right? I feel like one of the biggest barriers for us in, in simply in inviting people into be getting around Jesus, okay? Inviting people to get around Jesus. Where is Jesus found? He's found in worship. He's found in the Bible, okay? Is we're scared we're going to be asked a question that we don't know the answer to. And guess what? You will. I am all the time. And all I say is, I don't know. I'll get back to you. Right? And it never hampers the situation. Philip was in the same situation that you and me are in. He had no idea. He just said, come on. It wasn't a barrier for him. You see what I'm saying? He just said, come on. All right. Here's the key. That they're taken personally. That they, they go to them. He's saying, listen, uh, I, I, I have found something and I want you to come see it with me. That's it. Now, let's, let's get practical for a minute, okay? Let's think about this. Whenever we're called to take our associates and, and business associates or friends or, or the people that we're in class with or our family members or whatever the situation may be, let, let's, take it, let's take all of the, the difficulty out of it and look, let's look at what is simply done in this passage. They just went to them and said, hey, why don't you come with me? I don't have all the answers. But why, but why don't you come with me? So let me break it down for you. you got maybe someone in your mind that you're thinking about. Share a meal with them. Invite them to lunch. I want you to think about it like this. If you had a friend who was of another faith, okay, maybe they're a Muslim, maybe they're an atheist, maybe they are um, believe in whatever, And you had your friend come up to you one day and say this, hey, listen, I'm I'm a very spiritual person, and I'd like to tell you some of the things that I believe just to have a conversation about it, and I'm willing to take you to lunch. I'd like to talk to you about it. Would you be offended by that? No? You'd actually probably be kind of curious. And... uh, what, what we're saying is step one, take interest in someone, take them to lunch, and then all you have to say to them is something along the lines like this. Hey, listen, my faith is important to me. I'm curious. What's your story? And just listen. And then at the end of it, say, hey, why don't you come with me to worship? Or why don't you, I'd love for you to read this with me if you're interested. If you're not, you're not. But if you are, come on. Leading people to Christ. It's actually pretty simple, but it does require some intentionality. Finally, let me explain to you what I mean by this last point. This helps me think about it. This this last point to me was a pivotal point in my own time that I share that, uh, that I lead people to Christ, and by that I simply mean getting people around Jesus. Okay. Point number three: leading people to Jesus is like plugging in the lamp. Leave it to Jesus to turn on the light. Now, this to me is extremely comforting because someone coming to faith in Christ does not require you to have a wonderful personality, and I know most of you have wonderful personalities. It doesn't require you to be extremely persuasive. It requires you to get them around Jesus Christ and his gospel. The illustration that makes sense to me, hopefully makes sense to you, is it's like a lamp. You can't, spiritually, you can't turn on the light. You can't say, you can't make someone believe anything. But you can plug the light in. You can get it close to the electricity and then leave the rest up to God, whether or not he's going to turn the light on or not. And that's the way I like to think about it. I like to think about my life with a bunch of plugs in my hands, and I'm just looking for outlets. I'm just looking for lamps, and I'm just looking to plug them in. Right? And then I'm praying, hey God, turn the light on. I can't do that. Just plug in the lamp in. In the scriptures we read this in Romans chapter ten, verse fourteen. How then can they call on the one they have not believed in? And how can they believe in the one of whom they have not heard? And how can they hear without someone preaching to them? And how can they preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news. Now, when you read the word preach in the Bible, you're going to be tempted to think about what I'm doing right now. But most of the time, the word preach in the Bible simply means tell other people the word. That's it. So whenever you hear the word preach, don't think about this. This is a form of preaching. But most often in the Bible, the word just means conveying a message, proclaiming a message. Okay? How are people going to hear unless someone tells them? who better to tell them than you? Who better to invite than you and me? There are people who hear the gospel and reject it, but there is no one who receives it who has not heard it. There are people who hear the gospel and reject it, but there is no one who receives it who has not heard it. Plug in the lamp. The comfort is that God is the one who turns it on. What I'm hoping for you, this is what it's done for me. I don't know what it's going to do for you, but this is what I hope. I hope that this both takes the pressure off of you and inspires you at the same time. Guess what it did for me. And I'm going to show you how it works out in this passage, but before I do this, let me just read that what we're relying on is Jesus to do the heavy lifting, for God's Word to do the heavy lifting, for God's Spirit to do the heavy lifting. We don't have to do that. We just plug the light in. In John chapter 6, verse 44, it says, No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him. And then in Colossians chapter 2, verse 13, it says, When you were dead in your sins, how many decisions do dead people make? Zero. It's not a trick question. When you were dead in your sins, God made you alive in Christ. Who turns the light on in their heart, in your heart? God. Just plug the lamp in. That's it. In this passage, Philip doesn't know what to say about Nathaniel's question, so he just brings him to Jesus. And Jesus does the heavy lifting. We got a skeptic here nathaniel is a skeptic nazareth no way he's skeptical jesus does the heavy lifting he he says to him he sees whether he uses his divinity and whether it was a vision or i don't know how jesus saw him under the fig tree but he did he says i saw you under the fig tree and that convinced nathaniel and then in the midst of that nathaniel the jesus says you think that's amazing just hold on just wait you're about to see some other stuff. And then in chapter 2, I'm excited to get to that. We, do, we get, begin to see some of the things that Jesus is going to do. And then Jesus refers Nathanael in this last bit. Um, Jesus refers Nathanael to the point of everything that Jesus has come to do. And he uses an illustration that Josh read for our Old Testament Scripture lesson this morning um, from Jacob's life. It was a moment in time when God revealed himself to Jacob and let him see a vision of a ladder or a staircase. And angels and descending and ascending on that staircase, making their way to God. And Jesus says, you're going to see a whole lot more than that. You're going to see angels. You're gonna see, I'll read the verse to you just so we're talking about the same thing. Verse 50. Jesus says, you believe because I told you that I saw you under a fig tree. You shall see greater things than that. And then he added, I tell you the truth. You shall see heaven open and angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. What does Jesus mean by that? Well, like John told us, we don't have everything that happened uh, in the life of Christ, but we have no record of this, action, this event of them seeing anything like this. So let me tell you what I think Jesus means when he says this. I think he's saying that the fulfillment of this has come, that the stairway leading to God is here, and you're looking at it you'll be able to ascend up into the Father because the stairway is here. Okay? There are real barriers in leading people to Christ. You and I don't have all the answers to the questions. Neither do these guys. There's also a barrier that if you invite people to have lunch with you or ask them to share their spiritual story or invite them to church, that they're going to think you're weird or strange. I'm going to say something that's convicted me. and I'm going to tell you, and I'm just letting you know it's hard, okay? You ready? If you're scared of a little bit of an awkwardness, or if you're scared of a little bit of a strangeness, or if you're unwilling to simply invite someone to church or to the word over your dinner table because you're worried about the relationship changing, there's pretty much no more selfish act that you can do in the world than to deprive someone of a relationship with God and freedom from the agony of hell because you're worried about awkwardness and a relationship change. far as I'm reading the Bible, that's true. And that gripped me. And it convicted me. And on the other side of that, let me comfort you. I have found that people are starving for meaningful relationships. That even if people disagree with you, they're just glad you care enough to ask. And it's been my, over this past year, when I've been begging God to help me lead other people with Christ, get them around Jesus. I've been astonished at how many people are so excited to meet and talk with me, a pastor. I mean, I'm a weird guy, you know what I mean? Y'all are a whole lot less weird than me. You see what I'm saying? But they're, they're just like, sure, that sounds fun, let's do it. I have lots of questions. You, maybe you can answer them for me, you know? Do you really believe that it's that simple? Or am I just blowing smoke up here? It really is. It worked then. It'll work now. I'd invite you to eat your way to extend in the kingdom of God. Share meals with people. Twenty one times a week, you have an opportunity to share a meal with someone. In one year, you have 1,902 opportunities. Why don't we just do one this week? Let's just share a meal with someone and make a simple invitation and let Jesus do the heavy lifting. Final question. We prayed for about four months that God would give us a new space. For what? we would have room for people to come to know Christ. New prayer. We got the space. New prayer. Let's plug the lamp in. Amen? Father in heaven, we have come to your word and now we come to your table. We make a transition where we get to taste and see of the goodness of Jesus Christ. Lord, I pray that there are those in the room that maybe would be convinced for the first time of the validity of who you are as the Messiah and the anointed Son of God. For many of us in the room, we have been convinced of that reality because someone got us around Jesus Christ. Maybe it was our dad or our friend. But Lord, we get an opportunity as a congregation now to get around you with each other at your table. And so as we make that transition, we ask for your blessing. In Jesus' name, amen. A little bit about the Lord's Supper. I'm going to read from 1 Corinthians, just a minute, just a short passage uh, um, about the Lord's Supper. But just a little information about that. You've got a pamphlet in your uh, order of worship. Hopefully you've got a chance to, to read that. But the simple requirement for being, uh, for coming to the Lord's table, for participating in this uh, wonderful sacrament is to be a christian you have to be convinced of who jesus is and you have to give give given your life uh, to christ and the other requirement is that you need not to be someone that's just bearing tons of bitterness against someone else right Uh, we are recipients of the forgiveness of god for tragic sin that we've committed against him and we have to be in good communion with god and other people okay so if you are just absolutely unwilling uh, to to be to forgive someone, if that's just a problem that you're struggling with right now, it's okay. right? God will help you, we'll help you, if you want our help. But it, it would be a good idea for you not to take the Lord's Supper. Okay? Um, and so th- those are kind of requirements. If we think about it as a table, it's a table with a reservation. I will say this, though. I want you to keep in mind that this isn't a table for perfect people. This is a table for sinners. Okay, so you don't have to be perfect to come here, but those are the the two requirements, right? And if you abstain, it's okay. It's not a big deal. um, But those are the two requirements, all right? And a note about the flow. uh, We go from back to front, but if if you've never taken the Lord's Supper before, we're probably going to let you go second. We've had one time before with a, a, a visitor was the first one to take the Lord's Supper and didn't kind of know how it works. So what we're going to do is we're going to let some of the, of the members of the church go first just so everyone can see how it goes. But we dismiss from back to front, and we'll take the Lord's Supper almost like a little family uh, up here, and we'll be able to participate that together. And uh, there'll be some music playing uh, in the background uh, for that. And um, so just spend some time in prayer, but it shouldn't take too terribly long. But let me go ahead and read Uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 11 about um, the Lord's Supper. Begin reading in verse 23. The Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And in the same way, after supper, he took the cup, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. For whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Therefore, whoever eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty of sinning against the body and blood of the Lord. A man ought to examine himself before he eats of the bread and drinks of the cup. Father in heaven, we pray, Uh, Lord, as we are spending that time examining ourselves now and as we are preparing to come to this table, this wonderful symbol of your love for us. And we are communing with you in a mysterious and powerful way through the ministry of God's Spirit. Lord, we ask that you would bless our time, that you take these common elements, the bread and the cup, and use them for a sacred purpose now. And Lord, bless us, God, as we take your supper, commune with you and each other in a special way, we ask in Jesus' name.